So this past summer, uh, I took the, uh, quite a few of our teens to Worldview Academy, um, the camp uh, up in Tallahassee. And during um, that week while they were attending the camp, I was tucked away in coffee shops studying Galatians, preparing for our series, and was trying to do that in a big broad overview sort of way, so not to get into the, into the weeds, um, and came to this passage, and frankly, I don't know what's going on here, <laughs> is, is, is how it, it hit me as I was walking through it, going, what in the world, and wanting to dig in at that point, and knowing I didn't have time to do so, until this past week, and very excited to to see what is going on here. The title this morning is Rejoice, O Barren One. And take that from verse number 27. Before we get into the text, just as an introduction, want to just unpack. Tim Keller writes about four kinds of people. Four kinds of people. The first person is the law-obeying and law-relying person. This is a person who lives under the law. This is the person that um, Paul is writing about. And this person um, typically, well, living under the law typically causes a person to be a bit smug. Law obeying and law relying. This person looks the part outwardly, seems to be getting it done outwardly, and yet inwardly he or she is either insecure or aware that he or she is not getting it done, not able to get it done, or he or she is proud, proud that they're getting it done, at least in their own estimation, getting it all done, thinking they're getting it done. This is salvation by works. It, it says, I can be good enough to earn my salvation. The second person is the law disobeying and law relying person. This person has a conviction about the law, a conviction that the law saves, and so he sees a need for self-righteousness, and yet he knows he's not living it, filled with guilt, tired of repenting on Sundays and failing on Mondays. Woe is me, I'm a failure. Law disobeying and yet law relying person. This person can be a bit of a know-it-all, He looks at the guy with zeal and says, well, I used to be like you too, but you'll grow out of that. It'll wear off. Once lit up for Christ, now he's dried up and he sees his Christian walk as a failure, unable to get it done. This is also salvation by works that rightly knows he can't get it done, but wrongly misses the gospel's solution in that Christ does get it done for us, which would free him to joyfully live for God. The third person, the law obeying, or um, excuse me, the law disobeying and not law relying. This person says, bag the whole law thing, kick it to the curb. He's the guy who knows enough about grace to be dangerous. He's a reckless Christian that does damage to the newborn Christian. This person is secular and pragmatic. Relativism rules the day. It's how he thinks. I decide what's moral. 
I am the standard for what is and isn't ethical. Secularism, this relativism, is a moving target. It sounds good. It looks accepting until it bumps against something that it can't tolerate. Namely, anyone else who's more moral than he is and disagrees with his, his morality. It's a subtle but very real self-righteousness. This is salvation by perceived tolerance. The fourth is law obeying and not law relying. This is Christianity. This is the gospel. This is the heart of the message of Galatians. This is freedom in Christ. Law obeying and not law relying. He or she obeys out of gratefulness and joy and sonship and knowing God the Father has his best interest as one who belongs to him. He is an heir of Christ, not because of his good works, but because of Christ's works on his behalf. He is a, he is a child of God because he's repented of his sins and sought forgiveness of his sins, and God has granted him that forgiveness, not because of anything he has done. He stumbles at times with person one, two, and three. He stumbles into, he becomes that person at times, but he returns to the gospel truth which leads, which leads him or her to worship and joy and growth and proclamation. Now this section of Galatians that we're getting into is a bit of the mountaintop of where we've, where we've been previously. And it's a bit of a closure to some of the arguments he's been making in chapters two, three, and four. Let's dive in. Point number one is the question. The question shows up in verse 21. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? There's the question that he, he throws out there. And Paul is taking the Judaizers to task, if you will. He's saying, okay, you put yourself under the law, meaning you're, you're relying on the law to be your means of salvation. You, you put yourself there. Let's, it's like Paul saying, let's kick that around a bit. Let's think about the implications of that a bit. And I appreciate what Paul is doing here. To me, it sounds less confrontive at this point. It sounds like Paul's coming alongside these Judaizers and saying, let's examine this. Let's examine your thinking a bit and how you're approaching. How is it that you're going to be saved. Because the Judaizers are coming, they're approaching this salvation issue and they're saying, I'll be saved through my efforts. I'll be saved through my good works. I'm gonna be good enough to present myself to God that he would find me acceptable. And Paul's saying, let's kick that around a little bit. You who put yourself under the law He says, do you not listen to the law? Do you not listen to the law? His, his question is like he's saying, have you really thought that through? You're putting yourself under the law. Are, have you really thought that through? Because when it comes to the law, do you listen to the law? What he's saying there is that the law's demands are perfection. Perfection. 
You can be saved through your good works. Here's how you do that. Live a perfect moral life. Let's kick that around a little bit, Paul is saying. Are you sure that's the route that you want to take for yourself? Are you, are you so confident in your goodness that you, are, are you really wanting to put yourself under the law? Do you, are you familiar? Or he says, do you not listen to the law? You desire to be under the law. Do you not listen to the law? Or do you not get what the law is saying? Do you not understand the law's demands are that men and women, we are to be perfect for us to be saved before God? Perfect law keeping. So he's saying, look, if you were to listen to the law, you wouldn't put yourself under the law. James is the book that we'll be covering next after we're finished with Galatians. Galatians, we've said quite a few times, but Galatians is about that faith is in Christ alone. Works is not what commends us to God, right? It's faith in Christ alone. That's what saves us. Praise be to God. Because, because have you listened to the law? Have you seen the law's demands? Have you, have you seen there's a bit of a gap between your efforts and the law's demands? Have you noticed we're not getting it done? Galatians comes in to say, you'll never be saved by your works. You'll never be good enough to be saved from your sins by attempting to be more moral. Galatians comes to us to say, you are saved in Christ alone. Faith in Christ alone. James exists to say, it's the famous Martin Luther quote of, and your faith is never alone. Now, where is it? Huh, what? What Martin Luther was saying, look, Galatians, faith in Christ alone. But if you're genuinely saved, grace motivates you. It's not that, that uh, Galatians is saying, so we kick the law to the curb. Actually, back up, three, chapter 3, verse 21. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? He says, certainly not. It's not that Paul is saying here, so we kick the law to the curb. He's saying we kick the law to the curb as a means of our salvation. And having placed our faith in Christ alone, he's called us by grace to work. Not to work for our salvation, to work out of worship, out of joy, out of celebration, out of, yes, please, what can I do for the kingdom of God and the Savior who has saved me from my sins? Big difference. Yes. And that's why we want to tackle James right after Galatians. Because a lot of times we interpret those out of the big context of God's word. So James, speaking to this whole law thing, says this, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty or accountable for all of it. So what James is saying, if you want to go the route of the law, 
Okay, we can talk about that, just like Paul is, is, is doing here. We can talk about that. Let's, let's say they go the route of the law. But if the person who relies on the law for their salvation fails at one point, he's accountable to all of the law. Guilty for all of it. And so it's like Paul's saying to the Galatians, are you sure that's the route you really want to take? So that's the question. Number two is the facts. Verse number 21 again through 23. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman, one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. What in the world is Paul doing here? Where is he going? What Paul is doing is he's appealing to the very thing that they were appealing to. Okay, so you gotta, you gotta know the context of the New Testament is the Old Testament. <laughs> and the writers of the New Testament assume a knowledge of the Old Testament. That's why we wanna love all of our Bible. And so he says, for it is written, meaning let's go back to Genesis and Father Abraham, because they're appealing to Father Abraham. And, and Paul is saying, you want to appeal to Father Abraham? Let's do that. Let's go with that. And he's going to preach the gospel from Father Abraham. The Jews were proud of their heritage. They were descendants of Abraham. They would say, I'm a child of Abraham. Many Jews believe that since their lineage was Abraham, that they were saved. That because I have Abraham's blood running through my veins, because I'm in that line of Abraham, I'm saved. Now, things have not changed. There's young people, you're in the room this morning, and you're thinking, I'm saved simply because of the home that you grew up in. You're not saved based on the family where you were born. You're saved based on faith in Jesus Christ. And at that point, you are born again. And you're born again into the family of God. And so the, these, these Jews were here and they were saying, well, we're saved because we fall in line with Abraham. And we know the promises of Abraham. We're heirs of Abraham. We're, we're his children. We're children of Abraham. And Paul masterfully uses their guy to expose their faulty thinking. How does he do that? Verse 22. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and one by the free woman. So Abraham, two sons, one by the slave. That was Hagar. And that was Ishmael, her child. And one by the free woman. That was Sarah. And that was Isaac, her child. Verse 23. But, from, but the son from Hagar was born according to flesh. And the son from Sarah was born according to promise. Now this is brilliant of Paul. As he appeals to the very thing that they're appealing to. You want to talk Abraham? Okay, let's talk Abraham. I can preach the gospel from Abraham. 
One was born according to flesh. What does that mean? One was born according to man's efforts. One was born according to man's works. One was born according to promise. Whose promise? God's promise to Abraham, you will have a child. Abraham had two children, one from the bond slave, one from the free woman, one from works, one from grace, one from man's efforts, one from God's promise, one from self-reliance, one from God-reliance. One couldn't wait on God and refused to trust in God for the promise, one from faith. I will trust in the Lord, reliance on God. One according to flesh, verse 23, and one according to promise. And when God promised Abraham a son, as many of you know, Abraham was 100 and his wife, Sarah, was 90. The ship had sailed. They had no ability to produce a child. None. The only way they could produce a child was by God performing a miracle. That's exactly what God did. And he promised to Abraham, you will have a child. You will be a father of many nations. God keeps his promises. Now, have you ever sat around and wondered, do I got this right, this whole faith thing right? There's so many options out there. I started watching the Netflix series by Morgan Freeman. Any of you have seen that, The Story of God? No, all right, one, all right, two. All right, well, I'll talk to the three of us. <laughs> it, I, I'm watching it for the sake of worldview because a lot of worldview is being unpacked in that series, and I find it pretty fascinating. Not helpful, but fascinating. Have you ever sat around and wondered, how can I be sure that I've got this right? There seems like a lot of options that are out there. How, how can I be sure that there's a heaven and a hell? How do I know that Christ's atonement really is accomplishing my eternal salvation? How do I know for sure that one day Christ will return like God's word says it, he will? Um, and the answer to all of that, brothers and sisters, is read your Bible. Read your Bible. Because it is in the word of God that shows us that his promises are kept. He is a faithful God. We're not just grasping at straws. We're not just kind of reaching for the sky. This maybe pie in the sky type thing. How, how do we know for sure? We know for sure because Seemingly, endlessly, he promises in the Old Testament and they're fulfilled in Christ in the New Testament. Over and over and over and over again. He is faithful to his promises. How do we know for sure he'll return a second time? Well, because we can look to the first time and the many times he promised that Christ would come the first time and where that would take place and the details around that, boom, he came, amen. 
Thanks, Peter. It's good to have you back. Where are you? Where are you? <laughs> All right, Peter, the tailors win the prize, always traveling the fur- furthest. When you see them, thank them for coming. They drive in from Kissimmee. Yeah, praise God. He's faithful in his promises. Our God is faithful, and we could rehearse just so much there. How do we know he's going to return? Well, because he promised he's coming again. God keeps his promises. And God is saying to Abraham, look, you're going to have a child. Huh, what? No, you're going to have a child. Um, In spite of you. Not because of you. Not because you're all that. Because God is all that. He has always done what he would say he would do. Why would we begin to doubt him now? But Abraham and Sarah couldn't get their heads around that, right? Like, have you ever been there? They couldn't get their heads wrapped around this 90-year-old barren woman producing a child. And they became desperate. Have you read Genesis? Have you read this account and you just go... Uh, what, what, what are they doing here? This, I love the Bible's reality. It doesn't sanctify it. It's, it presents it as is. And when it does, it glorifies God. Because it's not about the goodness of Abraham or Sarah. It's about the goodness of God. And so in their desperation, They take matters into their own hands. Sarah tells her husband, Abraham, why don't you have a child with my maidservant, Hagar? And for mind-blowing reasons that we won't understand, he says, okay. And the result is the child, Ishmael. A son, listen to this, a son, this is what Paul's getting after, is conceived by the works or the efforts of man rather than the promise of God. In other words, they didn't believe God. They didn't believe God would do what God had promised to do. They decided to go with self-reliance. They decided to go with our efforts. God said we should have a child. How are we going to make that happen? we got to figure this out. They went with works rather than promise. They went with effort rather than grace. They determined our efforts is what's needed for us to produce God's promise. Look, we don't produce God's promise. Rather than we will trust God. God has promised We will rely on God. He will bless us. As he says, he will bless us. And we're going to wait on him. God was kind. Think of this. How kind is the Lord? In spite of what Abraham and Sarah and Hagar have done, God kept his promise to Abraham. 
in spite of, people want to prop up Abraham. Abraham's amazing. Abraham's amazing. Abraham, the point of the story isn't Abraham's amazing. The point of the story is God is amazing. He's faithful to unfaithful Abraham. He keeps his promise with the one who says, "Uh, God, you can't be counted on. I like the idea, though, and so we're going to go make that happen. The explanation, point number three, verse 24. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to present Jerusalem, or I'll say earthly Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children, but the Jerusalem above is free, or heavenly Jerusalem, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate one will, bear, will be more than those of one who has a husband. Huh? I'm sitting in that coffee shop back there in summer going, what is Paul saying? Let's unpack that. Paul is using the little history lesson to show them spiritual meaning that exposes the fallacy of their thinking, the fallacy of their works-based religion. This is important for us this morning because we have that fallacy of works-based religion. It's not as if, remember how we started the series, objects in the mirror appear closer are closer than they appear. They are closer. This is, this is not us looking back 2,000 years ago. Wow, what were they thinking? This exists in all of our hearts. This works-based religion, this works-based salvation, this works-based legalism that I'm gonna work my way to commend myself in some way to God. And so what Paul is doing here is he's saying there are two covenants He's saying that the one covenant, the old covenant, is the self-reliant works covenant. The, the, the I'm going to put myself under the law. I'm going to rely on law obedience to save me. This is Hagar, the bondwoman. She is Mount Sinai, meaning she represents Mount Sinai, meaning this is where the law came to Moses. Ishmael is her son who came through Natural birth. And the key words here in these verses are words like covenant and slavery and Mount Sinai and present Jerusalem or earthly Jerusalem. Paul's saying she represents your desire, Galatians. She represents your desire, Trinity, to put yourself under the law. This is this religion of works. Try to be good enough to commend yourself to God in order to be saved. But. Verse 26, the Jerusalem above or the heavenly Jerusalem. The Jerusalem, the earthly Jerusalem is the Jerusalem made by hands. The the heavenly Jerusalem is that promise, that Jerusalem made by God. Hagar is the slave woman. Sarah is the free woman. Ishmael is the child of self-works. Isaac is the child of promise, supernatural birth. Hagar and Ishmael represent the law or the old covenant. Sarah and Isaac represent the new covenant, the covenant of God's works and the fulfillment of promise. Hagar is earthly Jerusalem, man-made Jerusalem, by, by, by hands of man created Jerusalem. Sarah 
is heavenly Jerusalem. Only God can accomplish this promise. Hagar is self-atonement. Legalism, law-based religion. Sarah is Christ's atonement. God is faithful. God will keep his promises. Trust in God, Abraham. Trust in God, Galatians. Trust in God, Trinity. Hagar is, I will not trust God for blessing. I will trust in my works to cause, to force the blessing as if one could, to manipulate God, to bring about the blessing. Sarah is, her child is, I will trust in God. I will trust in the promise of God. By grace, not by my efforts. Hagar is the laws given to Moses which bound the Jews and made them citizens of the earthly Jerusalem. Read the first five books of the Bible. Sarah is the new covenant of promise. The works of another will bring you you, your blessing. Put your faith and trust in God. The covenant was ratified then by Christ on the cross where one can now come to saving faith through Christ, in Christ, his works and not ours. We are now given heavenly Jerusalem as our promise. This is genuine Christianity. This is the gospel that the Galatians have abandoned. And the Jews thought, like I said, hey, but we're children of Abraham. We're, we're good. We're covered. Have you seen my lineage? We've got this promise thing. I'm a part of the promise. I've got Abraham's bloodline. Paul is saying, oh, you're... You, You're not children of Abraham. You're children of God. You're totally missing it, guys. Like like to to pronounce the glory of a a child of Abraham through lineage. Oh, no. It's not just that you have Abraham's blood running through you. You're a child of God. You have the bloodline of Christ. Abraham's blood is not your hope. Christ's blood on the cross, there's your hope. Let's back up chapter four to remind us of where Paul has been taking us. Chapter four, verse four. This is the context. This is what he's been saying. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. To redeem those who are saying, hey, lineage, Abraham. So that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, not Father Abraham, Father God. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So Paul quotes Old Testament, verse 27. For it is written, He's quoting the prophet Isaiah here, 
chapter 54, verse 1. He says, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. What's going on here? Well, this was the prophecy of Isaiah. And the context there in Isaiah is important for us. The the prophecy is referring to Jerusalem before the Jews are returning from the exile back to Jerusalem. So here you had Jews, they're in Jerusalem and they are attacked and they are sent into exile. Look, this was horrific for the Jew, unthinkable. Many were separated from family, children were killed. This is horrible. And they're driven into exile And Isaiah is prophesying before their return back into Jerusalem. He says, rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Isaiah is saying to the exile, you're barren. You're in the wilderness. You are desolate. Rejoice, you will have children. That's what he's saying. And you will have more children than you had prior to the exile when you were robbed of your children. Let's put it all together in its bigger context. Sarah was barren. She had no hope for children. God broke in to she who was not in labor. You could say that Sarah is the Isaiah 54 woman before Isaiah 54 ever was. And now Galatians, and now today Trinity, the gospel comes to the barren. The gospel comes to you who cannot have children. You follow me, spiritually speaking? The gospel comes to you who cannot produce spiritual fruit. The gospel comes to the barren. The gospel comes to the one who has nothing. The gospel doesn't come to the one that commends itself in all its good efforts and all its good works. The gospel comes to the empty. The gospel comes to the What does Jesus say? He says, to those who are in need of a physician, not to the ones who've got it all figured out, not to the self-righteous, but to the empty, to the broken, God comes, the gospel comes. The The gospel, excuse me, the gospel brings grace to the barren. And what he's saying is, is you will be more fruitful than all of those who were those old covenant law keepers because you are children of promise. What's the implication? Number four, verse 28. Now you brothers like Isaac are children of promise. But just as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. 
Trinity, you are children of promise. You're not simply in the bloodline of Abraham. You, brother and sister in the Lord, are in the bloodline of Jesus Christ. It's not that Abraham's blood is coursing through your veins. It's Christ's blood. It's not that you have faith in Abraham's blood. That's what he's telling these Galatians. It's a, it, that's not it, guys. It's that you have faith in Christ's blood. We place our trust in the promise in Christ alone. He is the solid rock on which we stand. All other ground, sinking sand. We are born not by our efforts, just like you were first born not by your efforts. You are born again not by your efforts. It's not that we take things in our own hands, that we start to say, oh, religion, ah, we got to pursue religion. We're going we're gonna to work our way into salvation. No, you're born again, not through your works. You're born again through promise, faith in Jesus Christ. But as Ishmael ridiculed and scorned Isaac, Genesis chapter 1, so also legalists will ridicule and scorn the grace-filled individual. Now be careful here. Because, well, we tend to think of that outside of ourselves. Like the legalist out there is going to scorn me because I'm um, pursuing this route of salvation through grace. But here's the thing. The legalist in me will scorn the grace guy in me. Like, I don't need others to contribute. I'm enough of a problem on my own. Have you ever scorned the grace in you? Oh. Right? Like, is that not a regular thing, what Paul is communicating here? The scorning that goes on by the legalist in me towards the grace that's in me. And so law-keeping and grace-living are clashing in Galatia, and they're clashing in Trinity. Listen, man's works and the lack of trust in God's promise is completely incompatible with gospel freedom. And that's what Paul's unpacking in those couple of verses there. God's provision, God's promises are not in step with legalism. Hagar and Ishmael are symbolic of man's efforts to achieve what only God can achieve. They represent this humanism. And they were, verse 30, cast out. Cast out the slave woman and her son for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. They, they, were, they were cast out. Work salvation is cast out. Now is Paul, is he, over, is he stretching it? Is he overreaching here? I would say no because they're refusing to put their faith in God for the biggest moment of life. Life's biggest moment. 
is that moment of where am I going to put my trust for my, not my immediate moment, but for my eternal salvation. Where will I trust? Will I trust in my works, in my effort, in being good enough, or will I trust in Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for me? Paul's not overreaching. Verse 30 shows us that it's this or that, but it's not both. It's works or grace, but it's not works and a little bit of grace. Or it's not grace and a little bit of works. Verse 30, the promise and the flesh, grace and works, they don't coexist. So cast out the slave woman. Cast out the works-based salvation. God will not divide his blessing. God will not bless what is made of man when it's made without trusting in God. So verse 31, so brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. We're not this, but we are that. Friends, I would rather trust in Christ, putting all my weight all my eternal, the, the question of eternity, I would rather place that securely in the hands of God than leave it resting in myself. Can you imagine right now? Now, some, some we're here this morning. The legalist in us is here this morning. We're still wrestling with, but I need to be good somehow. I need to be good enough to commend myself to God. And God's word is saying, cast out that slave. Trust in the Lord's goodness to bring about your salvation. I'd rather trust in Christ than trust in myself. I'd rather trust in Christ's works than in my works. I'd rather trust in Christ's ability rather than my ability. I'd rather trust in God's promise rather than my empty promises. Have you made any promises to God? How you doing? The beautiful grace moment in Abraham's life is God kept his promise in spite of Abraham. And God will keep his promise in spite of you. Stunning. So law or grace, you have to decide. Good enough or he is good enough. You have to decide. It's not mostly grace in some works. It's grace alone in Christ alone. C.S. Lewis says it like this. There are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. The former are people of faith, people of promise, bloodline people. Citizens of heaven, the latter are people of works, citizens of this falling earth. And so he closes with this summary, and worship team, if you would join me. Verse one really is a summary, and I'll let Alex, you can unpack it some more next week. It's really an introduction. Which is it? Yes. <laughs> Verse one, chapter five, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Christ has set you free. He's, he, this is what Paul's saying. Live in the good of that. 
for Christ. It sets you free. Live in that. Live in the good of that. Live in the good of the gospel. Live in the good of your freedom. Obey the law, sure, but not in such a way that you're relying on the law for your salvation. Not that you're putting yourself under the law. Don't return to that self-atonement. That's a barren wasteland. Christ has set you free. He fulfills the law and he fulfills the promise. So stand firm, therefore, in your freedom. And don't submit to that yoke of slavery, that old covenant works-based religion. You know, the world says, God helps them who helps themselves. No. No. That's not the message of grace. That's not the message of Galatians. God helps those who are completely helpless, barren, unable to produce a child. God helps those who can't help themselves. So grace comes to the barren, to those who can't help themselves, and in their state of hopelessness, they place their trust and their hope in Jesus Christ alone. Let's stand together and let's sing.